turning in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. We want to read beginning at verse 20. Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a hind let loose, he giveth goodly words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray that you would revive us again from your word today. As we look into it. And we pray that by your spirit you would show us marvelous things from thy law that would speak to our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're continuing with our study of Israel's final words to his sons. We've just read about three of them, but we'll begin in verse 20 with Asher. Asher was the eighth son of Jacob. He was the son of Zilpah, Leah's maid. And when he was born, Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. The name Asher means happy. And Israel says of Asher, his bread shall be fat. That would seem to be a prophecy of Asher's material wealth. Asher's border as Dr. Henry Morris points out, was the northern seacoast near Tyre and Sidon of the Phoenicians. And their proximity to the sea and their yielding and producing royal dainties, luxurious products and delights, it would have made them very wealthy. Asher's bread went beyond that which was necessary for life. His bread was fat. His wealth was great as the tribe of Asher sold and traded to the other tribes and no doubt to other nations. But this material wealth came at a spiritual cost as an emphasis on material wealth will always do. Asher found his happiness in wealth, and he became self-centered. He became self-satisfied, rich and increased with goods, having need of nothing, like the church of the Laodiceans, Revelation chapter 3. Turn over, if you will, to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 4.
It's a very important chapter, chapters 4 and 5. They're very important in their relation to Genesis chapter 49 and Israel's words of prophecy. In this chapter, we have God using Deborah and Barak to deliver Israel from the king of Canaan and from the captain of his host, a very cruel man by the name of Sisera. And then in chapter 5, in the song of Deborah and Barak, we learn some things about this battle. And the particular thing that we learn is who took part in the battle and who didn't. Notice what we read in Judges chapter 5 and verse 17. Gilead abode beyond Jordan. And why did Dan remain in ships? Now notice these next words. Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. Asher refused to come to this battle. Israel was in bondage, cruel bondage, under the king of Canaan. But Asher didn't have time. He remained on the seashore. And what he was occupied with was his breaches, repairing what the sea had damaged. It's where his life was. So that he could protect his ships that were the source of his trade and the source of his wealth and therefore the source of his happiness. Happiness to Asher was staying out of warfare. And that's the condition of so many Christians in this hour. Happiness is staying away from the spiritual warfare of our day. And what's interesting is that as you Look at Asher, you look at his bread being fat, you look at his wealth, you find a neglect of spiritual things. There is not a judge that comes forth from that tribe to minister to the nation of Israel. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 27, in David's day, Asher is not even mentioned among the princes of the tribes of Israel. Now, I'd like for you to keep your place here in Judges because we're going to come back to this chapter in a few moments. But look, uh, look back at, at Genesis chapter 49 and verse 20. Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat. And he shall yield royal dainties. I'd like for us to think about those words, royal dainties, for just a minute. And see that Israel's words here are more than just a prophecy uh, regarding Asher's material wealth. I believe they are a prophecy of spiritual a spiritual royal dainty, perhaps the only one that did come forth from the tribe of Asher. It's the only one that I could find. And the only one 
that truly deserves that title of royal dainties. Turn over to Luke's gospel, chapter 2, if you will. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And beginning in verse 21, we read about the circumcision of the Lord Jesus Christ and how Mary and Joseph brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And there are two people who came into the temple that day. Two people who came in at the very time that the Lord Jesus was brought there. One of them is Simeon, and we read about him beginning in verse 25 and going through verse 35. The other one we see in verse 36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, notice these next words, of the tribe of Asher, of the tribe of Asher. Now look at verse 38. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Here's the fulfilling of Israel's prophecy. That Asher shall yield royal dainties. Here's Anna of the tribe of Asher. And what royal dainties is she yielding? Anna spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna spake of the Lord Jesus. She identified him as the Redeemer the Messiah, the promised seed who would have his heel bruised on the cross of Calvary as the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all and he shed his blood that we might re be redeemed to God. She spake of the Lord Jesus, God's royal dainty. God's royal dainty. That word dainty, if you look it up, has to do with food. It's one of my favorite subjects. A dainty is a delight. A delight. You're probably thinking of a dainty that you really love to eat. That's a delight. Well, a dainty is a delight that satisfies our hunger. It's something like we have never tasted before. That's the Lord Jesus, isn't it? That's God's provision. He's God's provision for our souls. He's the one of whom we are invited to taste and see that he's good. He's God's delight. He's the one. He is the dainty in whom we can delight ourselves because he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. We read that in Psalm 107 and verse 9. 
Anna from the tribe of Asher yields royal dainties. As she speaks of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem, to all that longed for and hungered for redemption in Jerusalem. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 49 and verse 20, if you will. Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. And he did. He did through a faithful woman of great age, the Bible says. Married for seven years and a widow for 84 years. A woman of great age. A faithful woman by the name of Anna who spake of him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we want to bring forth royal dainties in our life? Then that's how we do it. By speaking of him. In verse 21, we read about Naphtali or Naphtali. Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. Naphtali was Jacob's sixth son. He was the second son that was born to him by Billa, Rachel's maid. And when he was born, Rachel said something that we want to keep in mind. It's very important. She said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. That's what his name means. It means wrestling. But in that name, Naphtali, is also the idea of prevailing in wrestling. Prevailing in wrestling, as Rachel said when he was born. His birth signaled in her mind that she had prevailed over her sister, Leah. And so there are these elements in the name Naphtali, wrestling and prevailing. They're very important elements. Now, the first thing that Israel says concerning Naphtali is that he is a hind. A hind is a deer. He is a hind let loose. And that wording goes right along with Naphtali wrestling and prevailing. I'd like for you to look over at Psalm 38, uh, rather, I'm sorry, Psalm 18 for just a minute. The 18th Psalm. Because I believe we can see an application of what we're going to read here. I think we can see an application of it to this man, Naphtali. Psalm 18, and let's read it, verse 32. It is God that girdeth me with strength. And maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hind's feet. And setteth me upon my high places. Verse 33 is a description of a hind that is let loose. A hind that has freedom. A hind that has liberty and is zealous of it. A hind that God has girded with strength. A hind whose hands God has taught to war. We read that in verse 34. 
and just as a side note to keep in mind, warring with our hands is something that we do when we wrestle, right? Wrestle. And so Israel's words concerning Naphtali, I think we can apply these verses here. God has taught his hands to war and to prevail. Look at verse 35. Thou, all, thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, that my feet did not slip. If you're going to be like hind's feet, and you're going to be upon the high places, then your feet do not need to slip. I have pursued mine enemies. Listen to this wording. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken, overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. And so Israel's words concerning Naphtali, I believe, have the tone of battle, the tone of wrestling and prevailing, and yet in the midst of it, giving goodly words. And there's a place that we see these things in, in Naphtali. I'd like for you to, I mentioned to you a minute ago, keeping your place there in the book of Judges, but we want to go back there to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4 and verse 1. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Harasheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. And 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now look at verse 6. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh, Naphtali. Deborah calls Barak of the tribe of Naphtali. And in verse 10, Barak calls Zebulun and Naphtali, his fellow countrymen, to Kadesh. And he went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And Deborah went up with him. And Deborah says to Barak in verse 14, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomfited Sisera 
and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Harasheth of the Gentiles, and all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. And so as we see in verse 23, God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel. And this victory is so important that Barak is mentioned by Paul in Hebrews chapter 11 as one who through faith subdued kingdoms was made strong out of weakness and who waxed valiant in fight and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That's what we just read in verses 15 and 16. This victory is so important after 20 years of oppression by the king of Canaan that Deborah and Barak celebrated in song. And we looked at this song a few minutes ago when we were talking about Asher. But now look at verse 18. Again, this, this song has a great deal to do with that, about who came to the battle and who didn't come to the battle. Look at verse 18. Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeopardized their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. Zebulun and Naphtali, in contrast to Reuben, we talked about Reuben, I guess, a couple of months ago from this chapter. We had great thoughts about coming to the battle. But he didn't come. He stayed with his sheep. He stayed in the place that was a land that was good for cattle. Dan stayed in his ships. What good is that in the battle? Asher, we just talked about him a few moments ago. He stayed on the seashore. Such a picture of last day's Christians, isn't it? In contrast to them, Zebulun and Naphtali were a people, look at the language, that jeopardized their lives unto the death. And notice these next words. In the high places of the field. Now remember Israel's prophecy. Naphtali is a hind let loose. And remember what we read in Psalm 18 and verse 33. He, the Lord, maketh my feet like hind's feet and setteth me upon my high places. And in those high places of the field. By the way, that's where you want to conduct war from, isn't it? The high ground. I saw a t-shirt one time that said, if you don't take the high ground, the high ground will take you. And in those high places of the field, Barak of the tribe of Naphtali, the hind, was let loose. And the Lord taught his hands to make war so that a steel bow, like the 900 chariots of iron that the king of Canaan had, were broken by the arm of Naphtali. 
And the Lord gave him the shield of his salvation. And the Lord's right hand held Barak up. And the Lord enlarged his steps under him so that his feet did not slip on the high places, on the high ground, like hind's feet. As Barak and Naphtali and Zebulun jeopardized their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. Barak pursued his enemies and he overtook them just as we read a moment ago in Judges chapter 4. Naphtali is a hind let loose. It's Naphtali in Judges chapter 6 along with Zebulun and Asher that time. He answers the call of Gideon to go and fight to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. Israel's words of prophecy came to pass. Naphtali is a hind let loose. But that's not all that Israel prophesied. He said that also Naphtali giveth goodly words. And he did. He did. We have them here in the song of Deborah and Barak here in Judges chapter 5. Goodly words that praise the Lord for his marvelous works and his wonders on behalf of his people. Goodly words like we read in verse 2. Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Verse 11, they that are delivered from the noise of archers in the places of drawing water, there shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord, even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of his villages in Israel. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. And so Israel's words concerning Naphtali come to pass, just as he prophesied. But I want us to think again for just a minute about the meaning of the name of Naphtali. This name that means wrestling, and it carries the idea of prevailing, wrestling and prevailing. Because there's a message in that for every person in this room this morning. In Genesis chapter 32, and if you like, you can, you can turn back there. Genesis chapter 32. In this chapter, Jacob has left Laban, and he's on his way to meet his brother Esau. And he crosses the ford Jabbok, and he sends Rachel and Leah and his sons over the brook so that he's by himself. And we see in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. We talked about this portion of scripture some months back. This man that wrestled with Jacob is God himself. The man Christ Jesus. 
Jacob identifies him as God in verse 30. He says, for I have seen God face to face. Now notice that word wrestled in verse 24. Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. The Spirit of God uses that word for a reason. And the reason is that wrestling is one of the most physical and strenuous of all activities, whether it's in sport or whether it's in warfare. In a wrestling match, every muscle, every tendon that we have is involved and strained to the very limit. And the reason is because what's at stake in a wrestling match is submission. Somebody's going to submit in a wrestling match. Somebody's going to surrender in a wrestling match. And that's what's at stake here. The Lord Jesus is trying to get Jacob to surrender to him. And Jacob is fighting back because he doesn't want to surrender to the Lord. He's lived his life just fine. And the Lord doesn't prevail here. Look at verse 25. And when he, the Lord, saw that he prevailed not. Now I want you to notice that word prevailed. Prevailed. It's a very important word. In verse 24, we have the word wrestled. In verse 25, we have the word prevailed. Both of the aspects of the meaning of Naphtali's name. And remember what Rachel said when, when Naphtali was born and she gave him this name. With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. I would suggest to you that that is the testimony of Jacob's life to this point. It's the testimony of your life today if you are here and you're lost. With great wrestlings have I wrestled with God. And it's great wrestlings because what's at stake is control of your life. What's at stake is surrender. And you don't want to surrender control of your life to the Lord Jesus. And like Jacob, you have prevailed in your wrestling match with God because he's not going to force any man to surrender. He's not going to, to force any person to submit. He's not going to force salvation on anybody. God will wrestle with you. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit here in the world to wrestle, to convict to reprove of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But he won't force you to be saved. He's not going to violate. He's not going to um, uh, override our freedom to choose. Verse 25. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. We're going to, we read just a few verses down that, that Jacob carried that limp for the rest of his life, by the way. It's one of the scars of the wrestling match. What kind of scars are you bearing this morning? 
because of your wrestling match with God and your refusal to allow him to prevail in your life. The, the Lord's words here in verse 26 are important. And when he saw, verse 25, that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. This is the omnipotent God. Think about it. He doesn't have to tell a man to let him go. He could have just vanished and been gone. But he says that because the Lord's not going to force himself on us, and he's not going to stay anywhere that he's not wanted. The Lord's not going to stay where he's not wanted. But here on this day, for the first time in his life, Jacob sees his need to be saved. And in desperation, he says in verse 26, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And it's here that we see the meaning of Naphtali's name. With great wrestlings have I wrestled with God. But on this morning, it's not Jacob that prevails, it's God that prevails. Because Jacob surrenders his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're lost today, that can happen to you. Right where you are. You can allow God to prevail in your life. You can stop trying to prevail. How's, how's that going? How far has that gotten you? You can stop fighting against the Lord today. You can surrender your heart to him. And you can cry out to him just as Jacob did. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he will bless you. If you come to him with a broken and a contrite heart, he'll bless you with the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then... As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The way that we live the Christian life is the way that we got saved. We live the Christian life by allowing the Lord Jesus to prevail in our lives every moment of every day. We're saved today. How are we doing in the great wrestlings of the Christian life? The inward wrestlings. With this old nature. It happens every moment of every day. Are we trying to prevail in our own strength? Or are we surrendering and submitting ourselves and allowing the Lord Jesus to prevail in our lives? Not I, but Christ, Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20. Well, how are we doing in the outward great wrestlings of the Christian life? Turn over just a minute to Ephesians chapter 6, if you will. There's the inward wrestlings with this old nature that we still have after we're saved. But then there's these outward wrestlings. How are we doing in the outward great wrestlings of the Christian life. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. 
For we wrestle not. There's our word again. Wrestle. What a, a, a perfect comparison. Description of the Christian life. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So how are we going to prevail in those great wrestlings? How are we going to do that? Well, we allow the Lord to prevail. Look at Ephesians 6 and verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, not our armor, his armor. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then Paul gives us the armor. Your loins girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We allow Him to prevail. We take His armor that we might be able to withstand in the evil day. And this is the evil day. How are we doing today? in the great wrestlings of the Christian life. Israel's prophecies concerning his sons, words written for our learning, words written for us as we live here in the last days. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for these men that you've placed here in your word, the prophecies concerning them. Asher and Naphtali, and we pray that we would see the lesson that you have for us here. We pray that we would not be consumed with making our bread fat here in the world. We pray that we would be consumed with the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might bring forth royal dainties things concerning him, that we might be a blessing to the people around us. And help us to be like Naphtali in the battle, the great wrestlings of the Christian life, the great wrestlings that, in which we cannot prevail in our own strength. We can only prevail in the strength of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you might speak to any here who are lost today. Their testimony is that with great wrestlings, are they wrestling with you? And up to this point, they have prevailed. But we pray today that this would be the day when they would allow you to prevail in their lives. That they would trust you as their Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.